Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right. Um, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Monroe, Monroe Live podcast. Um, for those of you who maybe just joined us for the first time, um, Monroe is a company that kind of specializes in lean design, design for manufacturing, benchmarking, costing, and um, cost avoidance for you know new product development. And today I have uh, Chris and Julie Ramsey with me, um, who just undertook like a very, very long trip um, in an EV. So if you guys want to kind of just well, I guess we'll start there. You know, um, you have a, an adventuring background. If you want to maybe talk a little bit about the adventuring aspect and then transition into, I guess, what piqued your interest in, in EVs? You want to start? You go. Okay. Um, right. So, well, the idea probably came about a decade ago, I think. Okay. Um, you first discovered a Nissan Leaf. Yeah. Um, and I think you were just curious about the car. You're just curious about technology. You're a car person anyway at heart, aren't you? You love, you've always had loved cars. So um, I think one day you were at work and you were doing some Googling and you came across Leaf. And what did you do next? Pretty much I was curious because Julie said it was very much about liking cars and then thinking mm -hmm. like probably people still think out there is like, what is this electric car thing all about? You know, where do you charge? What's, what's this? Yeah. You know, how long does the battery last? All those kind of usual things. And so I thought, right, found a friend and said, should we go on a road trip? I've got an idea. We're going to go and take this electric car and go on a road trip. So that's what we did. We drove all around, all the way around the UK to three UK capital cities. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, the car had about 65 miles of range. Um, there was barely any charges in the country at the time. And we had some challenges to say the least, um, sure. but we had a great time. You know, I came back understanding the technology, just thought I've, I'm, I get the technology. I get what this is about. And being a, being a Scot, I love saving money. And I've driven around the entire UK and not say, not spent a penny on fuel. It cost us more <laughs> for, for a sandwich than it did cost us for a charge. So I kind of thought, mm, I want an electric car. So I think at that point I told you I was going to buy a Nissan Leaf and change my petrol car. And like you say, that was about a decade ago now. Um, and that car, that Nissan Leaf 24 kilowatt hour Tecna is still sitting on our drive today, yeah, 2014 it's, plate. It's uh, still going strong and it's our daily run around. And uh, I think at that time, a decade ago, I had no idea about electric cars. And, you know, just I think you introduced it to me. I was a bit nervous at first about it. I think like most people are, it's like new technology, having to change the, your lifestyle, your way of driving. So, um, yeah, I think... Um, I think it got to the point where Chris said, let's go for it. Let's switch out. We were a two car family at the time. Let's switch out one of our cars to an EV, give it a go. That's what we did. And then um, we ended up fighting over the electric car and who was driving <laughs> it. And um, ended up like the, um, the non-petrol car was on the drive, wasn't getting utilized. And that's one the point that we knew that, hey, we, we love yeah. the technology. We love EVs. Let's switch out both our cars. And um, yeah, it's a history from there. Yeah. I mean, and from there, journeys just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bolder and endurance drives and everything. And then 2017, we, I left my job and 
we, me and Joey decided to drive from London to Mongolia on a 30 kilowatt hour <laughs> Nissan Leaf, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Mongol Rally. So that was kind of a springboard to go into the the journey was a springboard to go into the Mongol Rally, and then the Mongol Rally was a springboard to kind of do bigger, bolder, and just kind of trying to do something to dispel all those myths out there. Just people. to let people know, the range of the Nissan Leaf was about ninety miles at the time. Sure. So driving from London to Mongolia, which is about ten thousand miles in a ninety range, ninety mile range electric vehicle. Um, a lot of people were like, you guys are crazy. You guys are not going to do this. Um, you know, and, and they all thought we were bonkers. And we did it in 56 days. As Julie says, the rest is history, as in why we're sitting here today, chatting to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's pretty interesting. You know, obviously, I'm getting a little out of order here, but like, you, I'm not sure how much you may have may not seen, like the, the whole stuff with Chicago here recently, right? And the, the superchargers and, um, and I think it's, they're all, they're all very valid points, you know, um, especially if you're depending on what your use case of a vehicle is. Um, but it's, that's kind of one of the things that I was very, very interested in just, um, is with this particular trip, um, and not even kind of having a lot of knowledge of your past trips, uh, the, the operational environment with the vehicle is, is already pushing that boundaries and, and how much time you spent in some of those like legitimate Arctic conditions, um, where, where you're, it's not necessarily just a cold step in, in, uh, in Chicago, you know, for a week long or so, but I do I do think it's very, very interesting, brings lots of questions forward. And, and honestly, you, in some ways you may be more apt to answer them than, than many people, um, that have EVs just in general. So it's kind of, um, happenstance that this, you know, we scheduled this and, and this, some of the stuff has happened, but, um, so I guess. I'm assuming why you chose um, the Nissan area has has to do a lot with essentially the leaf and essentially you finding that very early on. Um, was there any other vehicle in the running for this trip? I guess, I mean, you're quite right with regards to the choosing the area. I mean, there was, there was a stage where we, we approached Nissan and uh, the area was not around at that time. Um, and then we had to go back to the drawing board. Um, and then as, as we were talking about earlier on, unfortunately, you know, everything happened in the world that did, you know, as we've had the last few years with the pandemic and various things. So it kind of put, didn't put things on hold, but it makes it a lot difficult for us to then carry on the project and kind of find partners and find people involved. But, um, it then came actually a, a choice meeting, a chance meeting, um, at a stage, Robert Wells fully charged live. We were there doing a talk on the stage. And then one of the, uh, heads of motorsport for Nissan was there on the stage with us. And after that, we got off stage and we had a conversation about pole to pole and, and that reignited the fact because the area was there and he was like saying, look, we'd like to look at getting involved in this project. And I was like, great, because we have the history with you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, we are Nissan leaf and boat, uh, owners and everything. Mm -hmm. We would love to do this for you guys. Mm -hmm. And very quickly it turned around and they said, yes, we want to get involved. Mm -hmm. So. I will never say the pandemic and things were a good thing, but for us, it, sure. kind of, it was very fortuitous in, in the sense that it extended the period to when the Aria came around because it was the perfect vehicle for us. And, you know, the thing with Nissan is that in terms of a brand, we were, were very aligned in our outlook and our mission. I mean, their motto is daring to do what others don't. And when we did the Mongol rally, when we'd done the pole to pole, 
is very much aligned with daring to do what others don't in terms of pushing the boundaries, pushing the innovation and just um, trying new things, testing new things. And um, yeah, so I felt like the, you know, that kind of a um, partnership with Nissan was, was uh, really, yeah, really it just, worked, it worked for, really well for our for project and um, our ethos in, in, in this thing. No, it's, it's very interesting. And, and we, we had an area here, I didn't get a chance to look at it cause I was on another project, but for years I've been advocating, like anytime we have someone that comes in, like whether it's on road, off road for trying to get coolant runs and like the, the battery, like the channels, cause you're using extrusions, they're, they're already there. Um, and they, they did something very similar to that, which, which was very cool to see. And I was actually very, very bummed, um, that I didn't have a chance to see it on the hoist, or even look at it. Um, I believe, uh, Jordan and Walker had a chance to kind of go through it and look at it, but, um, I guess, can we, can we talk a little bit about the modifications of the vehicle? So when this whole thing kicked off, uh, Eric sent me the, you know, the link to your page and I saw it and I was like, oh my, it's all tire, you know? So, um, so we'll probably throw a picture or two in this, but essentially it's a, it's a Nissan area with the fenders cut and, uh, I think the 39 inch tires, you know, stuffed into it. So, um, aside from the size of the tires, can you go through, you know, a series of what was modified on the vehicle from a stock? A stock one yeah i mean and and effectively it is 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 essentially a stock vehicle outside of the 39 inch tires so when you look at the drivetrain the suspension system um the battery system it's all stock it's all factory area and we've not done extra insulation or anything to the battery because one of the things that we like to do with our projects like we did with the mongari leaf it was literally just a nissan leaf with the back seats taken out and a slight suspension lift so the idea is to show people that essentially a factory vehicle outside of modifications to make it capable of going into polar regions, for example, um, is, is, has done this expedition. So everything was their stock the guys at Arctic trucks, um, in Iceland, who are the specialists in, in Arctic vehicles, <clears throat> excuse me, what they did was they actually cut open the wheel arches. They remolded the remolded the whole of the inner wheel arch to accommodate the 39 inch tire as much as possible, and then have added the fender flares. And then there was the three tow hitch recovery points on the front and back, Yep, as you see sticking out. And those were to basically, yep, to pull us out if we get stuck in some really deep, thick snow and can't get out of those. And also jack the car up in case we need to do any tire replacements or maintenance. Sure. Um, and then it was a skid plate underneath the full length of the car. Okay. Um, and what, if, you, if you recall, like what was the standoff and material of the skid plate? It's just aluminum, uh, okay. aluminum plate. Okay. Um, interesting. Cause uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen like, you know, the bottom of lightning. Um, but it, it looks like a, like an M wrap or like a mine resistant vehicle. It, it's a little bit about their strategy, but you know, the battery sitting in an isolated cradle on very, very deep drawn stampings. It's, um, it has very robust protection, you know, underneath. So I was just kind of curious. Yeah, the um, area, what we did, what, well, what we did, I, I didn't, the Arctic trucks guys, what they did was they added a little bit of a subframe underneath the car so they can, okay. the skid plate would sit down below the battery. Um, okay. so it was just to kind of give that extra uh, cushioning, essentially extra bit of layer between any kind of impact. And did you ever have an, an impact on the skid plate that kind of encroached in that zone? Oh yeah, we did, oh, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> Plenty. I, mean, I mean, the best way to describe it is extreme off-roading up in the Arctic, because you can imagine there's no roads. Um, sure. It's just pure kind of wilderness, um, boulder fields, um, 
pressure ridges, you know, you name it. It was rough, rough terrain up in the north. And um, yeah, it, we did come down on the car quite a few times. So that's good plate protection plate has actually come in very well. And when you actually look at the underside of the car now, you'll see all the dents and scratches. Yeah, um, from, it's got some good wall from the north. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. But in addition to the mod, well, again, it's not really yeah. a mod, but in addition to the car, we actually added a rooftop tent box onto the top of it. So it uh, allowed us to uh, camp wherever we could at uh, various campsites along the way. So just to make it more difficult for us and reduce the, uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the range. range of the car, we thought we'd sure. put this uh, huge rooftop tent mm. box on, but uh, we added that as well. We're probably speaking to the right people in this sense and saying, you know, we did probably everything you shouldn't do to an EV to affect its range. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> If we could just, what were you getting? So obviously you were at 39s, then I believe you went to 35s when they said, nope, always. Okay. I was just reading through the journal and uh, it mentioned it, but I was looking at every picture. I'm like, these all just look huge, like 39s to me. None of these look like 35s. Uh, the original you know? plan was to look, to swap them out to 35s. Um, but I think when we kind of, we drove with the car, we found the kind of, what we were comfortable with in terms of range and the distances that we had to cover to get to the next charging station. And it kind of worked out okay. Yeah. We're kind of borderline, but we thought like- In some know, areas we were, yeah. Yeah, so um, rather than go through the logistics and expense of switching out the tires, you know, and to be fair, it looks cool, right? With the 39, so- <laughs> Sure, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, we kind of figured out that the range was around about Normally, it would be given as like 150 miles. On average. We, on average. We could get further in certain areas, depending on the terrain, depending on the topography and various things. Um, so sometimes we, in some cases, we actually got up to 200 miles. Sometimes we got like 170 or 180. But 150 was what we always worked on as like, let's make sure we don't go any further than sure. 150 to a charger just in case. Um, so it's kind of a, a safety blanket for us in that sense. But we almost, what, half the range or yeah. not probably just under um, the range of the car. So I think the standard area is mm. about 280 miles, 300 miles. I believe that's close, yeah. Yeah, so you can see the, the range drop by making by uh, applying those modifications. But even just taking the rooftop 10 box off, that actually made a big impact, uh, quite a, an impact to range as well at times. So, so there's all these little things that we did, but it was all to show that the vehicle is capable, but also for us to, we had to live in this vehicle, right? For sure. For like 10 months. Um, yes, we had hotels at times or we had campsites, but we kind of lived in that car. It was our hotel. So we had to make it comfortable. Yeah. So one of the things I th find that that's interesting is aside from the temperature, um, like how fast were you going? Cause I, I've, I've done some research, um, I have an F-150, so I kind of, I, I key in on a little bit on kind of what's going on in Lightning and what people are doing. And there's guys that are leveling them. They're throwing Raptor takeoff wheels and it does hurt the range, you know, obviously. Um, but one thing for some of these people that were up in the mountains, you know, they'll go up and then they do a lot of regen in and around the mountains. And aside from the cold, which probably not the cold that you guys experienced. Um, one thing that was interesting is they're obviously, especially at low speeds, very, very efficient for what they're doing. And they were able, they were very, very surprised. It seemed like with the dwell time that they could have in the mountains. Um, and in some ways, since they knew they were going down and only down, um, like, Hey, Friday, we're going to leave. Um, they, they felt a little bit more comfortable pushing the limit of the car because essentially they're going to regen the entire way back down. Um, so if you could talk a little bit maybe about 
you, you talked about the range. So 150 was your target. Sometimes you'd see 170 or 200, but um, just maybe a little bit about range versus the terrain and maybe speed, uh, which you're traveling at. Cool. I mean, I guess, uh, again, it's ironic when you're saying that because the 200 miles was when we actually we were in the mountains. <laughs> So um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's we, we were in Ecuador driving through the Ecuadorian mountains and then we we're coming off across the border into Peru, which then the topography turns into pretty much flat plains. Um, so up in the Ecuadorian mountains, we'd use maybe 8% climbing a mountain, but we'd, we'd regen like 5 6% of that again going down. So we were using very little energy and we, we covered our longest distance in, in through the mountains. So we got we achieved over 200 miles. But then I, ironically, when we got to Peru and driving through Peru, it's flat. And then you turn into headwinds. Yeah. So we're driving like maybe 65, 70 kilometers an hour, trying to like be efficient. Then we're, if the, if the, we change our direction and the wind's then starting to come behind us, we're then going up to a hundred kilometers an hour. So <laughs> it, it, it just varies, but because we're, we always kind of say to people, if you're in a normal EV and I say normal because non-modified, you're going to get that. You're going to not worry about the range that we're driving in our expedition, but because we are driving in a, in a short range EV essentially because of the modifications we've made. And we don't know the topography. We don't know the roads ahead. It's all unknown to us. We've got to do a bit more eco-friendly driving, don't we? Yeah. You're, it's, you're constantly watching your speed. You're watching sure. your kind of um, battery percentage. You're watching, you're, you're, you're watching the weather. You're watching, you're constantly thinking. It's not like you can just switch off and relax. Um, yeah, you're, 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 I think for us, because of the way we were driving and we wanted to maximize the range of each charge. And yeah, we were very careful and uh, we weren't doing top speeds where we were. No, we weren't breaking any records in terms of speed. <laughs> but like I said, it's because we had a car that had all those modifications yeah. to it. Yeah. And and we, we had to make sure for us, if we didn't reach our next charger, that was a big deal for us. For anybody else, they would, I mean, like I said, they would be okay with 100, 150 miles in a charge but for them they can stop and go hey let's just take a day out and we'll you know we'll stop and we'll explore this town for us we're on such a tight schedule mm -hmm. that we couldn't afford to miss mm -hmm. that next charging location if that makes mm -hmm. sense but but like you said before if you actually um um tail off the speed a bit it's actually so much more efficient yep. isn't it with driving <laughs> ev driving you get gain so many more miles with just dropping that speed a little bit and yeah it's you see a huge difference yeah that's interesting so the charging strategy, um, when we were at the, the Detroit Auto Show, I was talking to some people, um, Polaris specifically, and they teamed up with Michigan Department of Natural Resources, and they're doing some like solar-powered um, remote supports, like completely off the grid, um, solar-powered battery stations for um, ORVs or off-road vehicles, because in Michigan, there's like this whole like um, off-road trail network from like hiking to skiing to snowmobiling side by sides uh, and and like trucks full size vehicles and there's whole parts across the I mean you can drive all around the northern part of the state just all off road if you want which is pretty fun um, so they and it's you know it's something that they're you know working with them can you can you go a little bit into the strategy so it sounds like you definitely have your your route mapped at least we'll say within um, like civilized, you know, if you will, or uh, I don't know the best way to phrase it, but where where man is, or where human beings are, um, it sounds like you use a very deliberate um, route, and then with planned stops throughout. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
I mean, if you, I mean, I'll I'll touch on the Americas if you want to touch on the, the polar regions because mm -hmm. in, in the the Americas, so to speak, basically what we're looking at is a Pan American Highway. So we, we stuck to the Pan American Highway because if anybody's going to drive and do an expedition or drive north to south or south to north, they take the Pan Americana. And for us, there's actually a legacy aspect. So what we did was to plan our charging network, which all started about six years ago. So when we when this idea came, kind of came to fruition and kind of wanted to work on it. And I planned the entire route. Um, I used PlugShare quite a lot, um, planned the route through PlugShare. And then I looked at where the gaps were and I reached out to NLX Way, who are quite prominent in South America and Central America, and said to these guys, look, this is what I'm doing, um, but we don't have enough charges in South America. Could you support us? And these guys worked with me to build charging uh, AC, Chargers predominantly 22 and seven kilowatt AC chargers in Central and South America. So they put chargers pretty much every 100 to 150 miles along our route. And those chargers are staying there. They're there for, for people to use. But in Peru, what they did, they went above and beyond in Peru. Um, and we put AC chargers in, but they also put DC chargers on a 800 mile stretch. Mm -hmm. And so in Peru, when we passed through there, there were originally there was like three chargers in Peru. Now there's a whole charging network border to border. And so we worked on that as a strategy and we knew in North America, we had a there's a great charging network. Um, there's some things that need to be addressed around reliability with some providers, but um, um, in Canada, they've got a good network, but Northwest Territories was kind of like bare. Patchy, yeah. um, but the polar regions were where we got creative and interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, so in the polar regions, obviously there is no charging infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we had to find a solution to charge. And one of the most reliable ways of charging is um, using a petrol generator. So that's what we took along with us. But um, we wanted to also um, test um, some renewable energies while we're up there. Um, so we took with us a windmill up in the Arctic. Um, because the Arctic is supposed to be the second windiest place on sure. Earth. So we, um, you've innovated and um, pioneered this mobile windmill system that we would uh, trailer along with us in the Arctic. When we would stop, we would charge. And uh, unfortunately, Mother Nature didn't. <laughs> Wasn't windy. <laughs> and um, when we arrived, it was, uh, as you were saying, it's like the sun gods came out and it was zero wind, which was like, massively disappointing and um, sure. because we put our blood sweat and tears and a lot of hard work has gone into developing the system and uh, we couldn't fully utilize it um, in the arctic however um, in the south in antarctica is 24 7 daylight so we took our um, solar panels with us and um, combined with an inverter and and plugged into the generator to produce like a hybrid system where we could um Whilst we were charging the car, we could offset um, a lot of the fuel usage by using the solar panels. So these things are prototypes. Obviously, solar panels and windmills not, but the interface to them are prototypes. First time trying it and um, trying something new. And the solar panels worked really well. Yeah. Solar panels really yeah. worked really well. Yeah, in, in Antarctica when the sun was shining. Um, and yeah, so that's how we predominantly charge in those polar regions. And it's kind of interesting when we talk about it because there are for a lot of people outside looking in would kind of go but you took a generator you're on an electric vehicle expedition why would you take a generator and and there's an element of yes as Julie said the, it's the most reliable way it's the only way we can charge in an area where there's no power but also in in these on, on antarctic expeditions 
um, they won't allow you to go and do an expedition without using proven without it. Yeah. Well, sure. without proven technology. So, yeah. and the generator is the proven. So we that's how we got our permit, basically, and license to go into Antarctica and do the expedition. Yeah, and like. And the thing you were saying, like the we're proving the drivetrain of the car. We're demonstrating, you know, how EVs perform up there, if how the batteries work up there, you know, all this type of, you know, how the EV functions was the prim, primary, primary focus of um, taking the car in the polar regions. And the thing is, this is step one. You know, this is the first time it's ever been done, and you know, we will take these learnings and hopefully develop on them. And you know, one day. Maybe we you, can have a total know. renewable energy charging sure. station. Who knows? You know, so it's just baby steps, step by step, and um, hopefully one day we will get there where it will be unsupported, uh, fully unsupported. So from that perspective, um, like how big or like what support was with you through the entire trip? Yeah. I guess it's the best way to phrase it. So, so again, linked to the same principle of having the generator, again, to, to go into the Arctic um, and get sign off on that. And again, Antarctica, you need to have proven technology as support. Um, you can't go on your own, basically, is, is the nutshell. It's too dangerous. Yeah. So well, we, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So we basically went with Arctic trucks, the guys who modified the car. These are the experts yep. in polar expeditions. So they went with their, with their vehicles. And their traditional vehicles for Antarctica are um, Toyota Hiluxes. In the Arctic, um, they were trialing uh, Ford F-350s as a potential transition vehicle for them. Um, that's why we had F-350s up in the Arctic. Um, and they were with us in the Arctic and Antarctica. And then when we came out and we arrived in Yellowknife, Northern Northwest Territories up in Canada, mm -hmm. it was just us. Us on our okay. own all the way. Yeah. Um, and we relied purely on public charging network or the kindness of strangers where we couldn't get a charge. Sure. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and the kindness of strangers um, really prevailed. I mean, there was a couple of instances up in the uh, Northwest Territories where there was gaps. We um, didn't have uh, enough uh, batteries. Well, there was no charges. There was no charges. So we, we didn't have enough charge to get us to our next destination. So we knocked on the doors of various businesses, um, establishments, and um, asking for a charge. And the, the community... Um, just got behind us. Got behind us. It was cool. They went above and beyond to help us. And I kind of quite like those moments. And I think after having done the Mongol rally, that's what um, I like about this particular venture is that these are where the connections are made. Because, yes, you could go to use public chargers, but it's kind of faceless. You just plug into a machine. It's not, normally nobody mm -hmm. there. And you charge your car and you move on. But when you ask for help and um, you, you tell them what you need, nine times out of ten they help you and that's like i say where the magic happens and you get to meet people and exchange stories and yeah it's just the kindness of complete strangers and what they do to to help you get on your way is unbelievable yeah. absolutely blown away by by um, the, all these amazing people from canada right through down to chile yeah definitely and, and i guess it also gives us the opportunity to say where the gaps in the in the infrastructure is right um northwest territory so for people to give perspective, if they want to map it, uh, Google map it, it's, it's Yellowknife up in the Northwest Territories down towards Edmonton. And there's very little charges around in a lot of those small towns um, and areas. So um, it's it's kind of saying to the you know, Canadian governments, to people out there, it's like, this is where we need charges. This is where the network is. To, we need charges to grow. 
um, and other errors, we were okay for charging. So we just plugged into DC and moved on. And, and as Julie says, sometimes that's, that's the boring part because you don't meet as many people. But then, so we, 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 the car ended up becoming called Sonrisa because she, uh, the Spanish smile, because she always made everybody smile. <laughs> um, name given to her by Julie. And um, when we drove through Canada and Alberta with the, you know, the big oil and gas territories and things like this, and, the, and some parts of the U.S., everybody loved the car. Everybody loved the car because of the big tires and because of the weight. Sure. So. Yeah, it was yeah. lots of. Good so. No, that's no. It's 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 very interesting. One thing I think is is interesting, and it, and it may not again, right? It, it's it's not necessarily suitable for all all people's needs, but. Uh, one of our uh, associates here, um, uh, Dave, would always like when we were talking about my trip. Um, I did it in a diesel vehicle, completely different. But um, initially, I was waiting for like the power boost F one hundred and fifty. We knew it was there was rumors of it coming out. wasn't no, no idea if it would just be what type of hybrid it would be or not. Um, ultimately, I, I'm pretty happy with my truck as is. I'm, I'd be very interested maybe in like a second or, or third generation, you know, hybrid or maybe a next generation, um, you know, EV truck or something like that. But he's like, uh, you know, wherever one thing that's interesting is typically speaking, and and you you can probably speak to this again much better than anyone else. Wherever there's people, there's electricity. So not that it's you can necessarily rely on, on depending on what you're doing on 110 and just plugging into you know like the outlet of someone's house with an extension cord. But it's um well, it's at least something. Well, you, I mean, you can. I've seen people do it, but it's in our case in Americas and <laughs> as in in America and Canada. So I don't know if you're aware, but um, our car is a European car. I didn't know if you're aware of that. Anyway, it's yeah. a Euro no, no, okay, European yeah. area um, that we had modified in Iceland, and then um, it got uh, shipped to Nova Scotia. And okay, we we um, we drove from Nova Scotia across to Edmonton in the car, and then went up north with it. So yes. we've actually done coast to coast in America in Canada as well. So, but because it's a European car, European um, power outlets are two twenty. And the vehicle, oh. the vehicle requires to see about 1.5, 1.6 kilowatt, so 220, before it'll, before it'll register a charge. So we had a bit of a challenge. Um, so, and, yeah. so we couldn't just use the 110, unfortunately. So you had to plug into people's uh, dryer outlets? And, and... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so we, uh, we, had, we had that challenge as well. And, and obviously in, in the US and Canada, you guys love your plug sockets and, and no, dis, no disrespect to everybody, but you have so many different plug sockets. So we had, to, oh, yeah. so we had armed ourselves with every plug socket adapter that we, we could think of, um, yeah. and then found some new ones while we were trying to find, you know, work on other dryer sockets. So we, um, we, we, it was quite a challenge. We had this charging cable, um, from juice boost, yeah. um, technologies, and it's kind of like the Edward Scissorhands of a uh, charging cable, <laughs> charging plugs. Because you yeah. it would be or the Swiss Army knife of yeah. uh, charging plugs because you would have the actual charging cable and then you'd have like a array of different plug types that you could like plug onto the end and uh, we carried that with us and yeah. uh, used that throughout Canada and America. It's and really so we funny. added that and but what that also meant is we were a Type Two vehicle uh, for AC charging, not Type One. So AC DC charging right. was Type Two, not Type One. <laughs> so we needed to use adapters um to convert from uh type two to type one to use us and canadian chargers yeah and that in itself caused a few complications for as well because some chargers didn't like the the adapters so um we, we figured it out in the end <laughs> we got it sorted and um like i said with all the modifications made to the car you, we said you know we think we've made it difficult for ourselves but then taking a european car because that was the only models yeah. that were available at the time yeah um we made it even more difficult on ourselves and we sure. still made it and we still <laughs> yeah 
Precisely. But I, I think we're a unique case, though. You know, um, there's, yeah, you know, there's very rare yeah. to have a European electric vehicle in sure. America. So um, it's just like I say, it happened that. Yeah. With 39-inch tires, with, with a rooftop 10-box, <laughs> yes. with a big, huge skid plate, um, and, a, and a leisure battery mounted in the back, which we never said as well. We had a, a small leisure battery mounted in the back. And that powered your my coffee machine. Uh, <laughs> a coffee fair machine. enough. I mean, it makes the world go round, literally, you know. So, um, no, that's very interesting. Um, so, I, I, with your support vehicles that you had when you were in the Arctic, were they towing your wind trailer? Because I, I saw some pictures of it. I have a note. It's like they're done here. Wind trailer question mark. You know, <laughs> um, it's it's very interesting. I'm just curious if yeah. if you were towing it, and then because um, you know, towing is not good for an EV. <laughs> no, well, it's just you know I, I have a lot of friends on like on both sides of the issue. You, you know, if you will, and it's it's sad that it's kind of become that way with the conversation about it. Um, but it just it's interesting, you know, uh, and it's, it's hard to ignore anything. Cause typically if people feel very, very strongly about something, there's, there's definitely something, um, typically speaking, like rooted in reason or fact of why they feel that way about something, you know, and at least that they're like leaning on. Um, and you know, I have a lot of friends that tow stuff. So they're just like, they just, we just can't, you know? And, um, and then I, I think the big thing that a lot of people here struggle with, uh, in the United States is, 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 distance and time you know if you have the time it, it makes sense like I've, I've talked to a lot of my colleagues here um and you know most of my family's on the east coast so if we were to get something you know it might make sense for us because frankly at, at three hours you know even though i can make the trip to you know from detroit to philadelphia in like eight hours if i wanted to by myself when the kids are along we're stopping like all the time um and there's something to it I, we try to plan two deliberate stops it's about 590 miles you know on the way down for us and i could see that you know working pretty well right you know there's a couple of places on the turnpike where there's there's tons of tesla charges and then you know through the northern part of pennsylvania it's a little more remote but you're starting to see them so essentially anywhere there's like a, a sheets gas station you'll see those as well you know so it, it's it's a viable it's i think it is viable it just um for many people, it's it's a little different, and I just I, I personally equate it to you know even though I don't have an EV like a like a smartphone right like I I you went from like a, a Nokia indestructible phone that would last for like months you know to pick your you know your poison iPhone Android whatever it is that maybe gets a day you know and um, it's just yep and we live with it. At, point out an EV gets more than a day but anyway <laughs> no yeah but it's just uh I mean you could you could burn through it if you wanted in like one particular trip um but I I think it's nail on the head there it's kind of like it's it's that when uh, we meet a lot or I meet a lot of people say I don't stop when I drive it's like and there may be some people out there that don't I'm not going to say I'm going to say there isn't out there but the vast majority of people in in the UK they say I never stop at the motorway services whenever you go to a, a motorway services it's full it's full of cars so all these people don't stop is like, well, who's stopping? And we kind of say to people, whenever you do any kind of road trip, generally you'll find that you'll stop for a breakfast or you'll stop for a lunch, or you'll maybe then take a, another break. Like you said, the two break stop. And that's all we do when we drive long distance, when we're driving normally every day, we drive, mm -hmm. we take that two break mm -hmm. stop. And we, yeah, we just basically, while we're charging, we're having a lunch or we're having a coffee or we're having a and breakfast. It's, it's quite nice to break up the journey, just stretch your legs, get a bit of a break as well. I think, um, yeah, we're kind of attuned to that now, and it's just part of our 
lifestyle i think when we when we do a long journey yeah. we don't yeah. think anything different and it's a bit of a mindset shift mm. for people totally get it people are so conditioned with going to a fuel station or whatever going and charging and kind of you know refueling going and doing the refueling as a separate activity to a lunch or whatever so but we just say once you change that mindset and think why why go and fuel at a different place to where I eat, for example, I can go to American services, I can plug in, I can charge and I can eat and I can get on my way and I've got a full charge and I've got, you know, I've got my next drive going. So it doesn't take long for that shift to go. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to drive here and I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there and I'll be, I'll be at my location. Yeah. I mean, I've always, you know, looked at it from the perspective of, um, it reminds me a lot of like the 1920s, right? Where, you know, like the great, for, for us here, you know, you had a kind of like the, the great American road trip and that's exactly what people would do, right? You know, the cars didn't get that good or a few mileage. They're, they're carbureted running on like leaded gas or whatever it was. And you would stop, right? You would, you would maybe your car overheated because they're not overly reliable or, or whatever it's doing, but essentially you had these very kind of planned things. And then, you know, less than 50 years later, if you wanted to drive, you can do a cannonball run and a Mercedes something painted black and get across the country in 32 hours, um, racing and, you know, breaking every law and, and the books. If you, if you wanted to, that's where the technology has shifted, right. That, and that, that quick of a span. So I think it's interesting. We've essentially kind of done a reset as we're looking towards a, a new energy source. Um, um, and then how do you accommodate it, that technology at its current state? Cause very well, you know, 10 to 20 years from now, um, I think it, I think it will look legitimately a little bit different, like the landscape and how, how these vehicles are used, how, um, what their use cases are and things of that nature. Um, I'm almost afraid to ask this question. Um, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So because if anything, it might bring like more aware, potential awareness to maybe a problem that doesn't exist. Um, so did you have any issues at like, is, at charging stations because you're, you're there for a longer period of time than a fuel stop. And, um, and maybe more specifically, not in the Arctic, but like when you're going through the Americas, like that, that long stretch where you don't necessarily have a group of people. It's just, it's just you two. I, I know like some of my friends have, I'm sure there's stories. They've sent me links of things, you know, but it's, it's interesting because you're there for an extended period of time and maybe nefarious people would want to take advantage of that. So it's something that I hear more and more about people, you know, concern with it. That's why I'm kind of even hesitant to ask, but I feel like you've, you've gone through numerous countries over a long period of time and you have an interesting data set. So, um, and, and a vehicle in some ways that is, um, that screams like attraction. It's not subtle in any way, shape or form. It's clear that you're traveling. Um, and maybe that keeps some of that activity away. Like, you know, I don't need that type of heat on me, um, or it, it warrants attention. So I guess my, my question is, did you have anything or was that ever even like a thought in your mind? Cause it's, it's something I have heard. We had, it was completely the opposite effect, wasn't it? Yeah. What do you mean the opposite effect? Yeah. So what we didn't, we didn't get any negative, any negative, uh, attention at all. It's the no, opposite. No, we didn't get any, no, we didn't feel in any danger or anything in, um, in, in, whenever we charged actually did, and i'll be honest it didn't really cross my mind i didn't think in, in terms of america and canada and places like that no it, it didn't cross my mind but probably had more issues 
getting the car charged <laughs> at certain um, sure. <laughs> at certain um, chargings. Yeah, companies stops. will still a company will remain nameless. Maybe <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, Your yeah. listeners probably know who it is anyway. So um, oh um, yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. Um, um, their penance hasn't been paid enough. You know, maybe um, for, yeah. for past transgressions. Um, um, but yeah, okay. No, and and I think maybe you're going to touch on, but the. When, when we go into countries where people would expect us to maybe come into difficulty or have problems um, because of maybe what the media perception is or maybe perception from other areas, like, for example, in the, in the Central and Southern American uh, countries, again, quite the opposite. Um, we attracted, the car attracted a lot of attention, and it, as it was always going to do, but that attention was always positive mm-hmm. and it was always big smiles and it was always people just being so kind and warm and friendly towards us, mm-hmm. um, which was which good. We're always, you know, you're always wary, but at the end of the day, after a while, that that awareness kind of stepped away because everybody was so kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So uh, I'm kind of curious, like I have a friend who's in Chile right now doing some firefighter stuff and he would agree, like he's been all over. He goes, uh, I'm not sure if they went to Canada because they're flying like retired military airframes and it was like an issue, you know, um, getting them into the country for some reason. But um, you know, he's down there now having a great time, loves it. What do you, like, what's the, what was the biggest difference, right? So you've gone down the entire Pan-American, you know, like highway system. So you've got North, North America, North America, Central America, and South America. Um, You know, what was, what are some differences in your experience? And then like, what was this? I think you maybe touched on the commonality aspect that overwhelming kind of like interest and, and, uh, like genuine warmth, you know, with the interactions, but if there's anything else besides that, like some common, common things that you had and then just, you know, differences, you know, that you experienced with your interaction for people through your trip. Well, language was number one. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not like, um, fluent in Spanish. So it was actually, it's quite, quite, it's actually came to our advantage, I think at times, because, um, we got stopped by police quite often, I would say, yeah. um, <laughs> along a route and just routine stops or, you know, um, but I think the fact that we didn't speak Spanish maybe went in our favor um, because we couldn't communicate with them, and they kind of <laughs> just rushes us on. A, a yeah. lot of the time, at some point, it's it's more of a pain in the butt for them. You know, like just yeah. yeah. But also, they were also very. It turned out they were also Most a lot, of very them curious were really about the car. Nice. So I ended up being really nice, and um, yeah, curiosity more than anything else, I think, is when um, more often than why we got stopped. Um, but when you're going through like. It's, I guess it's a cultural difference. They're so culturally different. Every terrain, we've, every place we've been to. I mean, even Northwest Territories, is a lot of it is culturally different to other parts of like, you know, Alberta or Vancouver. So they, they've all got their cultural differences. But South America and Central America was, for me, was just, it was just a burst of color and, and vibrance and liveliness. Um, and, you know, when you come from areas which are, you know, built up mega cities, and then you go into this, it's just this green, lush, vibrant little villages, little towns, smaller cities, and just meeting people that you can't speak to, as Julie says, and you're just you're interacting with those people, and half of it is just you guys laughing at each other because you can't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's just such it's such a great, great, um, a great time, isn't it? No, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think um, obviously the you know America was very developed, very you know modern, and you kind of no you know everything's what's the word it's comfort it's comfort it's comfort right and it's safety because you know you can you can get everything you need you know it's nice and easy. yeah and you know there was a lot of um unease i would say going through south america because it's the unknown um 
never been there before. You have no idea what the, the country is like. All you know is what you hear in the media. So you have this kind of, kind of like, dare I say it, negative perception of a lot of these places. Um, but once we've passed, I, I still remember the day that we were pass going through Mexico. And, you know, I felt safe in the US, but I was thinking, oh, going into Mexico, we're going into kind of cartel land and uh, sure. <laughs> that type of, because that, that's what the the, and the media um, portrays it. But then we came out of Mexico and I was like, oh my gosh, this place is amazing. The people are amazing. The food's amazing. Culture is amazing. Um, luckily, we didn't come into any harm. Yeah. And I, I think if you look for it, you will find it. Anywhere. Uh, you follow, you know, the guidelines from your governments and from local knowledge. We had a lot of local knowledge as well to say which road to, to stick to, where to avoid. Um, yeah, I think uh, we listened and uh, we managed to get through really well. And and I felt that it was easier charging our car through Mexico, the whole length of Mexico, than it was charging our car in America, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, I mean, I... A 100% success rate in, uh, in, 100%, in Mexico. Yeah. Interesting. You interesting. know, like we predominantly um, charged at um, hotel chains because some hotel mm -hmm. chains have um, electric car chargers. And you know what? They just worked. You just plug them in and they work. No cards, no, no apps, nothing fancy. You, you know, it just plugged in and yeah. worked. And like, yeah, and 100% charge rate um, in, uh, in Mexico. And unfortunately, can't say the same in America. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to, you know, you mentioned like you had to pull permits for, you know, going to the Arctic and some of these more extreme areas, which are in some ways like literally almost no man's land. Um, like how about through, through various countries? So, um, you know, prior to I like doing my own little trip, I, I got, before overlanding, I think was even a term. It was like expedition rigs and exp like the expedition portal and things like that nature. And I, I'm not even sure timeframe wise when overlanding be became like the predominant way to describe this type of vehicular travel. Um, so well, did you have any, um, like maybe excessive, like amount of permits that you had to acquire to go through the trip besides, cause sometimes you'll hear that where, um, there's ones that are very, very clearly stated if you were to go look through various state department things or whatever you're going through and, and traveling. And then there's unofficial permits that you might have to, you know, pay. Um, I'm just kind of curious, you know, because it's, it's a big trip and, um, I've always been interested in something like this. Eventually, I think we're gonna do the, the Pan America trail across the U S. Um, I think it's a, mostly a motorcycle trail, but parts of it all off road is eventually I want to do. Um, but, um, that's something because there's a lot of people obviously that, that go to, to Africa and, and they kind of, they, they seem to mirror the same sentiment that you have that, um, you know, don't look for trouble and, and you won't necessarily find trouble. And honestly, you can get, you can get really far with like a smile and bubble gum, but, uh, you know, there are sometimes wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. You kind of cut out that. What was that? I was saying bubble gum. That's where we went wrong. We didn't have, bubble. Oh yeah. 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 Um, um, but was there anything kind of like with respect to that where, you know, like, a, a, did you have to do a lot of permitting, you know, just from like a cost perspective, I guess um, if someone were to. Mm -hmm. For us, it depends upon, again, this is going to depend upon your nationality in, in some respects. So for example, for us, with a, being a British nationals, every country that we pass through, we um, the British passport gets a 90-day visa or a 60-day 90-day visa, um, entry visa. In some cases, sorry, only 30. 
but that's enough for us to pass through. Mm -hmm. So that's just a sure. visa, on, a visa on, on, on entry of the border. Which is uh, completely different to yeah. when we did the Mongol rally. Yeah. <laughs> we needed visas, <laughs> needed visas everywhere. everywhere. Um, sure. So that was quite nice and refreshing to not have to um, apply for visas for every country in, in South America. Yeah, and I think the only place that we required the permits for was Antarctica and, and, the, and the Arctic. Um, and they are extremely strict. But then we, what we did was we worked with Arctic Trucks who basically worked on those permitting for us. Mm -hmm. Because, again, to go into those regions, you need to have somebody who's got experience to, to basically go there. So they, the permits were done under Arctic Trucks or mm -hmm. else we as individuals wouldn't have been able to go in there with our car. Mm -hmm. but, but the visa side for us going in was, um, was fine. We got the visa upon entry. Yeah. But for the car, we would have to temporarily... Import, import the car at every yep. border so that added so, an extra step onto the kind of border process so yeah so every country that we went in it was a temporary yeah. port and then that's what i was that was my next question yeah. very curious so just how much time did that take because obviously i don't know if you were necessarily constrained like hey we got a year to you know to do this but um is that like a couple days you know how long does it take to essentially import a vehicle um not a day i think no. the longest was maybe nine ten hours maybe yeah at the Nicaraguan border that was the most strict i would say and more complicated um but there was other borders where we just glided through and an asked, hour yeah the whole process for us and the car was it like an hour so it really through. just depended on the country depended who was uh processing your paperwork at the time Fair enough. <laughs> and, and that's yeah. it's, it's, cues the, the amount of people that, that some borders were quieter than others yeah. um yeah so it really just varied didn't it we um, did and I think, again, when we first kind of crossed into Central South America, there was that nervousness of, okay, what happens at the border? Um, what are they going to ask us? What are they going to do? And, and there's that whole anticipation, unease, un, um, nervousness. But then towards the end, we felt like we were experts because we kind of knew the drill now. Because <laughs> like you do one and then you kind of do the yeah. other. You kind of know which booth to go to, what stamps you need and everything. So you kind of become more expert towards the end but you yeah do. but there's always that ease for me anyway I always yeah. felt like in Meriver's border day I was like okay let's see let's uh let's see what happens and, and for anybody out there that's going to be going on a journey like even like yourselves is going to go on one of these journeys and pass through various borders probably the one bit of advice we can give to people is just be patient and yeah. sometimes if it's going to take a long time and if it's going to take a long time just it's going to take a long time <laughs> don't no point in shouting and screaming at people sure it take longer yeah yeah no yeah. i mean you're going into it, it's weird because i mean we're so close to canada like with my driver's license i could just drive over right you know uh i crossed in montana and the guy from canada was like for a second like looked it said michigan and he's like oh yeah obviously enhanced id no problem you know he was expecting to see a passport you know um or something like that but he's like all right have fun and then we were right across you know just making sure we had no alcohol you know no beer right we're like yeah no beer he's like okay and then across the border um so for us it's kind of interesting because it's right there and people are working back and forth all the time but uh and the countries are very close the culture is very close but you know when you're when you're going across continents you know it's you may not think about it but it's it's you know it's another sovereign nation right <laughs> so they exactly you know they have different laws different rules so that's one thing i was kind of curious about yeah. there were certain countries we needed insurance for the car 
other countries. Interesting. Didn't need insurance, so it was country by country, and some were more <laughs> complicated than others yeah. for insurances. And yeah. And the other thing, I don't know if it's SOAT, S-O-A-T. Yeah. Is that it's classes like SOAT in, um, in different countries, in, in different South American countries for uh, yeah. for insurance. Yeah. And and it's ironic that some of the countries that you 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 don't need insurance for is where yeah. the driving's a little bit more uh, interesting. Um, shall sure. we say? Um, and the <laughs> current insurance where you, you know, country where you need insurance for, obviously it's a little bit more, people are a little bit more less crazy. Yeah. Um, but that was another thing. The cultural thing about driving was just learning the rules. And some people see it as erratic, uh, like aggressive driving, but in some, like some of the South American countries, like Lima, for example, is crazy. Yeah. Three lane highways, five lanes of traffic. And that's just what happens. That's just the normal driving. And sure. you're forcing your way in amongst people and you're barging people out of the way, essentially, with your car. But that's normal driving. Mm. Sure. Yeah. driving. So it's kind of understanding very quickly in each country as you went through what happens here. How do you drive here? What's the done thing? What's the not done thing? And that was yeah. kind of a very interesting experience for us. And uh, you managed to get through all those major cities without a bump. Yeah. Um, no. Well, <laughs> <I> did <laughs> you did crash, but it wasn't in the city. It was in the country yeah. where there's no cars. Of all places, yeah. <laughs> and it was a parked car of all things as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've all done it, right? Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah sure. Yeah. That's well, that pretty impressive, actually, you know, to kind of go to Mexico City, go to Bogota, go to Lima, all these crazy cities with crazy traffic and um, not, not get a bump. So it's pretty impressive. Well, I, I can sympathize a little bit with the traffic. I remember the first time, uh, I'm trying to think of what they call it, MSR Tampa. So uh, in Iraq, we were going into Baghdad and then traffic built up and then people just started heading the same way, going southbound on northbound lanes. I'm like, this is wild. And no one hit each other, like head on. They just got over and started driving down. And I was like, chaos, isn't it? Okay. It's organized chaos. And it's almost like- Absolutely. You, you really enjoy driving yeah. in that. It's a great challenge. It's, it's good fun. You treated it like a game. It was like a video game for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Little well, I believe there's some- Mario Kart, you know, going through, weaving through the traffic. I believe there's some towns in, in Scotland where they just deleted all the signage because it looks terrible for one. And then it just, you know, you really rely on essentially um, right of way, right? You under, you're checking because you're not relying on someone to be like, yeah, it's a stop sign. They're going to stop. You know, you, you come up to an intersection, you slow down, you look, you, you proceed or, or stop, I guess, depending on how- um, you know, they're, they're set up. So it is kind of interesting because you're, you're more tuned in because it's, I don't want to say it's everything is fair game, but, um, you have to be aware. And when everyone is equally aware in some ways, um, like driving on the racetrack, I feel like it's way safer than just driving from my house downtown to downtown Detroit, because on the racetrack, everyone's trying to go as fast as they can and not hit somebody else, you know? And, uh, if you're going slow, you just give them a point by, they go right around you and keep moving. Um, so it kind of sounds like that with respect to drive. Yeah. And yeah. Then, yeah, it was really cool. It was, it was a great, that was a great, another, a good steep learning curve for us from this expedition. So mm. it was, it was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the kind of like the off-roading more. Yeah. You know, more like the are the polar regions where there is sure. no cars and you know, no one to kind of bump into and you just kinda of just have the, the freedom of just uh going for it type thing. It's so where the car cool. really got put through its paces sometimes with you, didn't yeah. it? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing is kind of touching on uh, from from the polar regions and just touching on the car itself, because we're talking about minimal modifications, is we did punish this car in the Arctic. Yeah. Sure. Antarctica. It it Outside of the charging aspect with regards to the low temperatures, which the car handled um, absolutely fine. 
And but the actual impacts and dents and bumps and strength that this car got in terms of from the underside and the suspension, um, we took air a few times. Yeah, quite um, a few times because of the terrain. It's kind of like it's you can't really see. It all looks white, you know. It all blends into one, and you think it's just a little bump, but it ends up being like a big bump. And uh, yeah, it kind of took air off. like a few times, like I say. <laughs> but the car. We went in. We went into the Arctic. Uh, sorry, into Antarctica with with our spares, with the spares we needed and spare tires. We came out with it all. The car didn't need anything. The Arctic. In the Arctic, in contrast, we, we again it, we didn't. We essentially didn't need any of the spares. Um, the car didn't didn't have any breakdowns. Um, the only situation we had was when we were going through deep, thick snow. For us to be able to clear it um, over and above our support vehicle, what we would have to do. Is just launch the car through deep thick snow because we had less ground clearance um so we would launch the car through and you act like a skimming stone on the snow and what happened was the car came down and there was a rock sticking up and went inside the suspension um area and it basically tore the inner steering rack i think on the car inner steering rack um and we had to sheared it we had sheared it completely we had to repair that replace that Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only is- issue that the car had in the Arctic as well. Mm, which is another reason why we need a support team, right? Because yeah. um, we're not mechanics. <laughs> and I, wouldn't be, I don't know what to do to fix it. Um, you wouldn't know how to fix it. So another reason for taking support for these incidences is where, you know, it's just unforeseen. You just don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't imagine doing a steering rack in, in or around remotely close to the, to the Arctic or Arctic Circle, you know, it's terrible to do it in a heated garage, you know, so it was minus 35 degrees C. So I'm not sure what wow. that is Fahrenheit. Um, and these guys, would they just, get pretty close when yeah. you start getting into the negatives. Yeah. It. They were just straight on yeah. it, straight in half an hour, 45 minutes done. And we were on the move again. Yeah. Um, cause this is what these guys do. You know, they're yeah, experts sure. at it. So, yeah. um, and that's why you take them. That's why we take them with us. Yeah. They, they did they're I call them the SES of the, polar expeditions when it comes to vehicles they, they know <laughs> their stuff they're really really talented engineers and mechanics and uh and they know how to drive more importantly they know how they know just because they're from iceland and if you think about iceland and how they grew up in the highlands and um they, you know they've been driving since they're young and they've just got loads of experience they live in the mountains in their cars basically yeah sure fair enough uh, there's one thing i wanted to add so overnight especially in the arctic climates were you doing anything for battery like tending um, and maybe like what type of drops would you see? Like we'd stop for the night at 50% state of charge. And then the next morning we're like, oh boy, you know, um, yeah. it's, it's kind of like the, what we did was to in, in the Arctic, in the Antarctic, what we did, well, it was slightly different in the Arctic. We, um, the car was living out in the extreme, in the extremes. So minus 39 without wind chill was what we saw. Um, and mind 39 degrees C. So we would basically charge the car overnight. Whenever we stopped, the car would get a charge. So it would never lose range because it's always charging. And the kind of strategy, you always keep the car charging when we're, when we're resting. And then that means we're always moving with the maximum amount of battery as, po- as possible. In the Arctic, and sorry, in Antarctica, that was slightly different. We learned from that and, and knowing obviously the warmer you can keep an EV, the better. So we kind of adjusted the strategy in Antarctica, didn't we? Yeah. I think um, in the Arctic, um, the battery did charge, but it, we just found it a lot slower of the cold, isn't it? Yeah. So um, it never got, there was one, I mean, if you had all the time in the world, it probably would have gone up. But I think the maximum we maybe took it up in the Arctic was about. 
yeah. mid sixties or something. No, we we basically charged. Well, there's two elements to it. So we 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 found us. We always knew there would be a, a situation around the cold would would impact the battery over long sustained periods in the cold. What happened was the battery got to about sixty seven percent. One time, it was one, it was one day when it wouldn't charge more than sixty seven percent, and it went into probably into a kind of protection mode. It was slowly taking body electrons. We like, okay, what can we do? Um, Drive it, <laughs> yeah. Get moving, yeah. yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, what we did was the we other thing on. we did was when we um, at nighttime we then adjusted the strategy a bit as well because we have a there's a system called a water maker. So what you do is you boil, you basically take ice, put it into this water maker, you melt it, and you create fresh drinking water. But the byproduct of that is steam and hot air. So we put that in front of the car's radiator while we were at night. It charged, it warmed up the radiator, it warmed, started warming up the charging system of the car. It made the car think at one point that it was in plus temperatures and the car, the battery all warmed up and everything. So we used a natural kind of waste product to induce the car to be fine. And obviously you wouldn't do that in daily life because you can garage the car or whatever, you know. Um, but that's what we did in that region. But in and the Antarctic, we found a difference, didn't we? Yeah, so once charged, the, kind of the car kind of warmed up a bit, the charging speeds kind of improved. And then that was one of the learnings that we took from the Arctic for Antarctica to say, look, how can we keep the car warm um, while the car is stopping, stopped and charging? So we took a tent solution with us, a car tent with us um, from Vango, um, who kindly partnered with us to provide us with a tent. And in the evenings, we would um, house the car inside a tent um, just to keep it out of the elements in terms of the wind and, um, yeah, just to help improve the, the charging speeds. And with the 24-7 sun, it basically warmed up the tent inside. Yeah. Um, I think when it was minus 25 outside, we were seeing the temperature drop to, well, increase so to speak to about minus 10 for example yeah. and sometimes go to minus four at one point we actually saw plus 20 in the tent yeah so it helped the car really really well so same like same in like cold weather areas you you the car is left outside in extreme cold for extended periods for extended periods you may have the same problems of what we um experience but if you have an option to tent it or keep it warm or garage it or you know keep it out of the elements it will it will help um charge up the battery. but again if you're as you're saying driving it if you're okay. running it every day or you're giving it runs the batteries then warming up through being driven so it's yeah there's different solutions we had to just get a little bit more creative interesting so what other those are interesting like facets about it. And it's one of the questions, like what other tips or tricks that maybe we haven't talked about for cold weather operation have you, that you guys kind of use, or is that, is that kind of essentially what you would do once you come to stop, you prep it, you know, it start taking a charge off the generator. Um, anything yeah. else? Yeah. And that's it. I mean, it's just basically when we stopped, we always made sure the car was charging. So that was always, okay. it was always getting the cycle, the warm cycle kind of going on the car. We put the, we put the climate on to get the car warmed up and everything. You just kind of get everything to do with the heating system and everything, battery cool, battery heating, just working. Mm -hmm. um, but then obviously if you're doing it in daily life, I mean, we're running EVs quite happily here in Scotland and sometimes temperature drops pretty minus, but you know, it's, it's just, you know, a daily drive. If you're charging, you charge your car, you put it on charge. If you go out and just drive the cars, the battery's getting warm, but you're using the car on a daily basis, you're not going to see the impacts basically that we have. Mm -hmm. So, or if you can trickle charge the car, keep it kind of 
trickle charging, I think, will help to keep it topped up and preconditioning the car before you yeah. go. So if you're going to drive, one. yeah, we said we said some people. I don't know if this one, maybe, but it's kind of if you're going to be driving for a long journey or even just any journey before you go, um, just basically put your use your app to put your climate control in your car and get the car preconditioned and get it battery warming. If you're worried about losing any battery off that, using that bit of battery, again, as you said, just, put, just plug it into your charger if you have a charger at home, climate control on, and you're not losing any energy, but the battery is getting nice and warm, and you're going to be as efficient as you can for driving off. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what would you say, uh, and I want to respect your time, but like your most, whether location or event, like your most memorable memory of the trip was? Maybe for each of you, or, or if it's both the same, you know. I am one of the most memorable for me is seeing a polar bear in the wild. That was yeah. that was amazing. I mean, to see a polar bear in the wild is wasn't guaranteed. Obviously, um, we didn't know if we would come across one, but it was um, the day after we started. I think, or yeah. was it on the day we started? The day after we left um, the magnetic North Pole. Yeah. Well, we're just driving back, and then uh, we saw this uh, polar bear in the distance, and the whole team just stopped instantly. Mm. Silence and binoculars were out, and it's just like all in awe of watching this polar bear plod along on our on our path ahead of us. So that, for me, that's a truly magical and memory that will will live me live with me forevermore. And that was an amazing moment as well because we were in the backdrop of. Um, being told the the ice road mm-hmm. towards Yellowknife is melting, you have to get mm-hmm. the ice road four days early, which we couldn't do. Um, so we had to basically negotiate with them to keep the ice road open, especially for us, um, which they thankfully did. But and we were all under pressure, under stress. Go 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 go. When that moment happened, it was like we had no time constraints in the world. Everything we all just stopped. About it. Such a magical moment. But I guess for me, I mean, it's easier to say the South Pole, right? It's but I think. For me, it's we went through Ecuador, mm-hmm. and I just found that country so magical. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the best mountain driving roads I've done in my life, and it was just an incredible, incredible country. And the contrast, um, we never got, unfortunately, we never got to experience a lot of it, but you've got the Amazon rainforest, then you've got beaches in the middle of it, you've got the you know, the Andes, starting of the mm-hmm. Andes, and it's just the most incredible, incredible place. And to match. In fact, the people were just so wonderful, so wonderful. And it, we had that center point. So Quito. the equator, the, yeah. in Quito, the equator, equator line. lines there. So it's kind of like halfway. And, it, and we, so we got to mark halfway. symbolically our, our, our like halfway mark of the, of the expedition, which was like a pretty cool moment for me. So we talked about like tips and trips for, you know, EVs in the cold and things of like that nature. What about just, um, you know, as a couple, it's a, it's a long time to be in the, in the same car together. Um, you know, as soon as we go anywhere, my wife falls asleep immediately. So it's, it's typically just me driving, but, uh, oh, same thing. Excellent. <laughs> uh, that's the secret. Just passenger falls asleep. Julie's special power. Yeah. I said to her, her special talent is she can sleep anywhere. Um, yeah. she obviously drove as well, but I mean, when it, we have a conversation we're like, right, I'm, I'm talking and then suddenly you go. We've literally pulled. We've literally pulled out the car park. Yeah, but you bored asleep. me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. Um, how do we get on? I know it's it's tough because it's like we're together for ten months in this confined space, and um, we're not going to lie. We've had our heated moments, haven't we? We've had plenty. We've had lots of debates and and lots of um, and shouting, and uh, but we always joked at the end if we if we made it 
at the to the end still married and together that um, we're looking for work we could become marriage counselors because yeah yeah <laughs> if we could uh, if we could survive this then we could survive anything so uh, we've been pretty preconditioned already with regards to the the Mongo rally we yeah haven't. sure sure six days that's what i kind of fig kind of figured uh eric and grace like you have to ask him this i'm like i will i will I was like, but I'm going to tell you, they, they probably met doing stuff like this and it, it, they probably knew each other. That's what I'm, I'm assuming been stressed before, not just hop into 20,000 miles, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we've been together for over 23 years. Um, I actually never went traveling at all until I met Julie. So I, my traveling nature came from Julie, but the love of cars and, and driving, um, was, was there. So we kind of matched the two together and we, we did yeah. that really well. So, yeah. but I think what I say to people but, is we've. Yeah got a very good habit of you know we are sometimes we argue for longer but generally in a car we can argue and then five ten minutes later it's done you know you if, if it's going to be said and you're in that situation just say it yeah just say it yeah it's going to linger and you got plenty of time to, yeah, to talk do. about it right yeah exactly and when so, we do have these moments we kind of reflect back and say look this is not about us and our bickering and our debates and our arguments this is about the bigger picture this is about the mission this is about yeah. the project and um, what we're trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve and, and and the kind of um the inspiration and hope and and just to dispel those myths out there the common myths that are still currently going around around evs and we just you know wanted to to show to the world and demonstrate to the world you know what evs are capable of and um and yeah. that's what we've done and yeah. yeah what better way to be able to sit here and say you know evs can handle the cold evs can handle you know plus 49 degrees is what we saw in arizona yeah um handle handle that heat they can handle antarctica they can handle the arctic and and how do you know well we've been there we've done it and you know, I think it's we never preach to people. We never say to people, you must buy an EV, you must go EV because of this and this. We say, here's the facts. Here's the facts because we've done it. We've been there and demonstrated it. And we know exactly what it is. As you say, sometimes we may be the most expert on it because we've been and done it. So yeah. we can say that to people and then say, look, there's the facts. You take that information and you make your own informed decision based on what you want to do. And, you know, they are fun to drive and they're exciting to drive and they're hundred percent more sustainable option for um mobility you know so if it's right for you and your lifestyle then uh you know give it a go and a lot of people have yeah and a lot of people you know in enjoy driving ev and they won't go back you know we've got a bit more work to convince and um you know some others but hopefully our story will inspire if not inspire then at least spark that debate spark that conversation with their their households and uh who knows we can maybe speed up that transition and get more evs in the road but like like evs infrastructure has to go hand in hand as well you know um especially if you go long distance if you're not going long distance for most of your journeys i think um evs yeah are, are absolutely fine but i think a lot of people are still a little bit concerned about yeah. that long distance driving and that's why it was important for us in south america whether they, there's very little infrastructure was to put infrastructure in the ground while we did this yeah. And make that commitment with with NLX Way that the charges are staying there, but also they've gone one, they've gone beyond. They're now actually starting to expand on that infrastructure. So yeah. it's been great to see. So yeah, um, it's a, it's a adventures with purpose. Yeah, That's what we'd like to say. Adventures with purpose, and we want to leave that legacy behind. Working with these charging companies to put these um, charging points in the ground forevermore, so future EV owners can use them. You know, and and start building and developing that infrastructure to give people that confidence. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's arguably for current owners, future, um, and even people like in the industry, I think at least here, I think some people feel that, you know, with the, the push, right. Hey, we should be going this way. You should be doing this. They're like, well, we've done our, you know, part, like we've, we've spent billions of dollars of building plants, designing vehicles. We've done this shift. And then some of the, like the federal government, the state government hasn't really like matched the effort, you know, and, um, I want to say like, even like Hyundai Kia, you know, there was conversations, are you going to build more? And they said, not until you do more, you know, like, do we have the capacity? Yes. We, we've kind of got our plant set up that we could ramp up volume and increase and, and increase production. But right now we're, we're unconvinced and we, we see it in the industry with quoting, you know, with some of our customers, there's people that are, they're not a hundred percent sold. And unfortunately for them, they're like, there's a lot of money at stake, you know, and it doesn't come from nowhere. So either we pay for it, you pay for it, someone pays for it. Um, but it's, 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 it's interesting. And I, I think there's definitely more that probably needs to be done on that front, um, to get more of them to be viable for people. Cause I think a lot of people would be interested in, and they do make sense for a lot of transportation situations, especially I think personal transportation. I mean, you could argue towing or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So yeah, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, and when you mentioned towing, just to answer your question before about the uh, in the Arctic, we we pulled the gener we pulled the wind turbine ourselves until we um, gotcha. until the suspension had an issue, and we had to leave it behind at a point. Um, but yeah, it was us that towed it. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, I, I want to say thank you. Um, this was this was very interesting to me, like personally. I like a lot of off roading and, and things like this, and um, and it, it just it was interesting to see. Um, I hadn't honestly heard about it until. Uh, Eric kind of sent it over this way. And I was like, oh, wow. And at first I didn't realize that you'd, you'd already done it. I was like, this is going to be interesting. I'm, I, they might be out and about like halfway through it. And then um, I was like, oh, I'd looked at the the progress tracker. I'm like, it's, it's over. Um, so um, yeah, thank you so much again. Um, I really appreciate it. And it was, it was insightful. You know, I think uh, arguably um, you guys operate in some pretty extreme environments. Oh, real quick. Did Nissan, did, did, did Nissan do any data logging with you guys? Did they pull data from like the vehicle or anything like that? Or we've not just... we've not specifically done anything directly with that. Um, but the vehicle, you know, Nissan have access to the vehicle if they want. So gotcha, gotcha. I was curious. I meant to ask that earlier, but I would have killed myself if I didn't actually ask you guys. I would have emailed it to <laughs> you later. Cool. But yeah. um, um, it's all about learning, right? So whatever we can do outside from Nissan, but out what we can do with the industry to increase the learning that we've got, and then and basically increase the industry, increase the charging infrastructure you know, just to basically expand as much as we can and share our knowledge. So that's, that's hopefully what will come from pole to pole. Um, and hopefully, uh, we'll start to see some work with the Antarctic survey research stations as well. So we can start to look at electrifying some of the vehicles in Antarctica and the Arctic as well. Yeah. So lots of ideas and lots of, we yeah. can, uh, just, uh, speed up that transition. Alrighty. Well, thank you very much again. I appreciate it. No, cool. Thank you very much for having us on. We've I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you too. Cool. Thank you.